Thank you so very much. I like to be close. I want to ask you to do me a favor, please. Is it possible for us to come a little closer? Because we'll have a lot of interacting and uh, we're gonna make the mic available to you as you participate in, in what we're trying to do. We give thanks to the pastor for his generosity in inviting me to be here today. I feel very honored to be here in partnership with Bishop Thompson, whom we've known for a number of years. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you for your mercies which endure forever. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct and illuminate. Teach us as we seek to learn the principles. Guide us. Use us. And receive our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't know that the pastor was going to read all of that stuff in the, in the Bible. But I'm glad he did. For one simple reason. All of that came out of two sentences that impacted my life. All of what he's read came out of two sentences when I was age 11. I went to something that was never held in our country before, a vacation Bible school. There's an old dilapidated church and I remember I was one of the boys who would throw rocks in that church building. It was abandoned. We would throw rocks and watch the bats fly out of it. And then a Church of God missionary by the name of Herman Smith and his wife came to Guyana, the country in which I was born in South America only English-speaking country in the continent. And we built the church, built a brand new church, and he built it in such a way that no other church in the nation was like it. He built a church that had rooms for every church, every different ages of children. We didn't have a single church in the whole country that had anything like that. All churches had a sanctuary. He built a church with a sanctuary and with Sunday school classrooms for different age groups. And then he chose to be the teacher of the children who were ages nine to 12. Nine, nine to 12. And there's not a single pastor focusing on that type of age group because pastors focus on adults. And I remember I was at home and I heard these people singing and children on the street he was he had a parade of them as they're going down the street they had balloons and they had um, things that made noise and I rushed out from the yard where I lived to see what was happening and all all these children marching and I couldn't figure out what in the world was happening and as they watched back I decided to join them just to see where they're going where they came from and they came to that new church and they marched in to this second day a vacation Bible school. I was Roman Catholic. I knew I couldn't go. That'd be a mortal sin to go into a non-Catholic church. But it was so exciting. These kids seemed so happy. At age 11, I decided, if the priest ever found out that I went into a non-Catholic church, 
If he ever found out and confronted me, I would say, Father, I was just standing there and they pushed me in. <laughs> I was 11 and I settled that in my mind of how to deal with the priest. I went into the first, the, the first day I was in, we were in the class, ages 9 to 11, 9 to 12, they're called juniors. And then the second day, um, middle of the session, the pastor said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm finished. I'm finished all the artwork that um, were given out. I finished. And he looked at me and he said something, sentence number one. He says, if you finish all that you expected to do, why don't you come and be my helper? This is the second day I've seen this man in my life. And because I'm finished with all the kids are working on, he says, if you're finished, why don't you come and be my helper? How do you think an 11-year-old boy who didn't even have on shoes felt? An American pastor six feet and probably a few, 200 pounds, said to me, come and be my helper. Wow, that was heavy. That was very heavy. The next day I was there early because I'm the pastor's helper. <laughs> For the first time in my life, I'm somebody. I'm the pastor's helper. I got there even before the thing started because I'm the pastor's helper. Well, the session began and we're doing all of our work. In my mind, I'm the pastor's helper. And then something happened. A boy stepped on my toes. I mean, he has one shoes, I don't. And I said to him, why don't you pick up the thing you just stepped on? And a fight broke out right in the class. I have always, from that day to now, confessed that I didn't begin to fight. <laughs> the fight started when he hit me back. <laughs> when I hit him first, there was no fight. So the whole class is interrupted. The pastor comes, this big pastor. He holds me by the back of my pants. He holds the other boy by the back of his pants. He took us out the door and puts us on the, on the ground on the grass. The other boy wants to fight. He's cursing and he's doing a lot of stuff. I'm too embarrassed because yesterday I was the pastor's helper. Today I'm put out. The other boy left by me sitting on the grass with my head bowed. Totally embarrassed. Yesterday I was the pastor's helper that I put out. And then I heard these footsteps coming in my direction. I lifted up my head and the pastor said, where's the other boy? And I said, he, was, he left, he was cursing and wanting to fight, sir, and he left. What was the first sentence? The first sentence was, if you're finished, come and be my helper. The second sentence is the pastor says, I have come out to get you. I want you to come back in with me. Those two sentences are basically responsible for all the stuff this pastor just read. 
He changed my life. He changed my life. He made me his helper, and when I failed, he left the 99 in the class and said, I'm coming to get you. I've been close to him for the day he died. And went through a lot of persecution because after all, I was Roman Catholic. And now I'm caught up in the church of God. Growing up as a teenager, preaching and doing so much and went to problems with my parents because they felt I was wasting my time at the Church of God. After all, the Church of God is not like the big churches. The big churches are Methodist and the Episcopalian, Roman Catholic. They don't have church. They don't only have churches. They have jobs. And so the Church of God has no job. It's just wasting your time. I've got a beating almost every Sunday night. Almost every Sunday night. One day my brother came. I was in youth fellowship, 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And my brother came called me out and gave me a beating in the yard of the church, in the churchyard, all the kids saw it. They saw the blood running down my shore. At age 14, my mother said to me, when I was preparing to go to church one Sunday morning, my mother said, I'm just so sick and tired of you. Go and live at the church. She threw everything I had outside. Go and live at the church. I crept back into the house because there are two things I couldn't leave without, my Bible and my hymnal. And I remember sitting on the grass in the corner of the street, waiting for the Sunday, for Sunday morning service to finish to see my Sunday school teacher be passing to tell her what happened. At least one of the Sunday school teachers. See, there's several things that happened in my life as a result of those two sentences at age 11, because about six months later, I went to the pastor and I said, I've learned all the songs from VBS. I've learned all the scriptures. I'm 11 and a half now, and I believe I can teach a class because I know something those kids don't know. This is the third sentence. We were standing in the center of the church in the sanctuary, and he said, what did you say? And I said, I know all the verses that we were studying, and I know all the songs, and I know kids who don't have and he stood there for a while and he says, see this front pew? That's your pew. Bring the kids and teach them. And I've been teaching from that day to now. Three sentences changed my life. After he left, Don, 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 Don Johnson, his wife, came to be the missionaries there. Been a part of the Church of God. You see, there are several ways of growing. You can focus on the adults that you have, or you can focus on also on the kids. The kids will give you a much larger ministry with more longevity. I am still part of my pastor's ministry, even though he died years ago. I called up a friend of mine last week to say happy Thanksgiving. She and I were in Sunday school together when we were 12. 
if you see the kids through the eyes of Jesus. If you minister to them through the eyes of Jesus. If you're big enough to build a relationship with them through the eyes of Jesus, you'll have a much longer ministry. And it says, he being dead, it speaketh. Evan Smith is dead. And his wife is dead. Well, they're speaking right here today. Through my mouth. Speaking who I am. And did been for their investment. I feel I can sit down right now. I'll give my presentation. Those who have ears to hear. For those who have ears to hear. I personally feel I could sit down and feel... I've given my presentation. I have more to share, but I personally feel those who have hear, ears to hear that you've heard something. In my presentation, I always had interaction, so that's why I have this mic, because the other mic I'll make you share. I want to shake your thinking. By the way, you show me where your, what part of your body, your brain is located in. Can you show me where it is? Okay. It, it's weighed, it's weighed about, about two pounds. And it's here. And is there anyone here who doesn't have one? <laughs> Could you show me in your body where your mind is located? Where's your mind located? Not located there. It's connected, but no one knows where it's located. But your mind and your brain are different. Your mind and are different. I was too young to really understand in my brains what the pastor had just done. Your mind and your brain are different. The problem is, we haven't recognized the difference, and therefore we haven't recognized how best to use them both. We can see visually through our brain, because our brain influences our, our human capacity. But you can't have spiritual vision through your brain. Come to your mind. And to a certain extent, you can stone me if you want. You really can't have faith through your brain. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you can't have that through your brain. Sight comes through your brain, but vision comes through your mind. That's why Jesus says that this, the Bible says that this mind 
Not let this brain, let this mind be in you. In Christ Jesus. And what are the advantages of interacting with children? You're able to capture and influence their minds early. Before their brain gets a chance to take over. You get a chance to influence their vision of themselves, the possibilities. I, at age 11, I am the pastor's helper. And I was able to take all of the beatings and the embarrassments. There's still marks in my body. There's still marks. The beatings. But you see, the beatings might have, if I was focusing just on my brain, my rationality would have said, you can't, there's no point doing that. But you see, my mind was so impacted by the possibilities of the vision that the past had planted. That neither tribulations or pain make the difference. If you focus on the adults, with them you will have a temporary ministry. Temporary. If you also focus on the children, you'll have a more permanent ministry because even when you are dead, your ministry will still be speaking. Um, my outline, <laughs> you have a copy of it. Start with an introduction. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, his appeal in Chronicles chapter 20, 20 was, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord, your God, and you shall be established. Believe the prophets, you will prosper. The big problem with that is that we've all read it, but don't believe it. We've captured it in our brains, but we haven't captured it in our minds. We haven't captured that in our minds. It doesn't resonate in our minds because if it were to resonate in our minds, we'd have a vision of it, the benefits of it, the possibilities of it. But we've only kept it in our brain so we don't see the benefits of it, the possibilities of it, the truth of it. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. His appeal, okay, his appeal demonstrates to us a genuine belief and commitment to God's word. And his truth remains the recipe 
for any type of leadership and personal success today. This is both the belief and the behavior that makes us faithful servants and stewards of God. Let me ask you a question. This is the ladies. The ladies. I mean, for those who know their ladies. <laughs> In your experience, and and we in church, so you can be honest with me. What comes to your mind when a man approaches you and says, I love you? What comes to your mind when you look at him? I love you. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Lying. Not her brain. And why do you think he's lying? Huh? Huh? Pardon me? Never met. Never met. What else? So he wants he wants to share your love to you, but what do you think he wants? Move on, move on. Before you were saved, this is everyone. Before you were saved, before when you were in the in the world and people approach you but going to church, what came to your mind? Hmm? Why waste your time? Why waste your time? What else? Holy rollers. Holy rollers. <laughs> because you see, you were you were responding based on your experiences. True or false? So I've just set you up. I've just set you up. Come to your mind when you hear the word servant. comes to your mind when you hear the word steward? Huh? Responsibility? Steward. Of a pen? Oh, he has one? Okay. Responsibility. Now, the truth is, the steward is also a servant. The difference is that the steward is a responsible servant that has what is called a stewardship. So sometimes you have to change vocabulary to communicate. And then you have to explain what that vocabulary is. I like to do outlines because when I taught at Temple University a number of years ago, I made the discovery that I can, I thought in the graduate school, I can give the best lectures, school of education, I can give the best lectures. But when it comes to exam time, it's not the, it's not the lectures they focus on, it's the notes in their notebook. The same is true at church. That's why I try very hard to give an outline. So that you have something to reflect on. When the tests come. When the tests come. So we haven't read a discussion point. What comes to your mind when you hear the term 
Christian steward. Christian steward. Because Christian steward now becomes a positive. Steward is positive. Servant is negative. Christian steward is a positive concept. It's easy for me to embrace if I understand what it is. Hmm? A representative of God. A representative of God. And we have a definition. Webster's Dictionary defines a steward as one employed in a large household or state to manage domestic concerns as the supervision of servants, collection of rents. A steward has responsibility. A steward is a person, a steward is a person of trust. A person of trust. A steward is a person of trust. And Christian stewardship means that we understand that we are persons of trust. God has entrusted to us a number of things, a number of opportunities, a number of resources. And we find that in the book of Genesis. See, when the pastor said to me, come and be my helper, he opened not my brain, but my mind to see a new picture of me. That picture has been with me to this day. Now it's age 11. How would he to know that I would one day succeed him and the pastor of that church. And I was just 11 when he made that deposit. Deposit of a sentence, two sentences, and three sentences. How would he know that those sentences would form my life and regulate my life, characterize my life, determine my life? Because he impacted my mind in an early stage. The next paragraph, Old Testament speaks to the, to the tasks of a steward and generally, generally refers to a steward as one who keeps the master's accounts and who remembers that what he or she handles is not his her, her, her own, but it belongs to the master. Who keeps the accounts, who keeps the resources, who handles the wealth, but who always remembers that what I'm handling is not mine. It's part of my stewardship because it belongs to the master. And whatever belongs to the master is what I have to give an account for. That's why you have the just steward and the unjust steward. If we can just get it into our minds, in spite of what our brains try to tell us, that we are persons to whom God has entrusted tremendous opportunities in the use of his resources, in the managing of his creation, if we can just get into our minds, it will lift our vision of ourselves significantly. Significantly. 
It's regardless of what position we have in life and what we have and don't have. Regardless of what you don't have, what you have came from God. And you can focus so much of your time on what you don't have that you miss what you have. The concept of Christian stewardship involves far more than financial contributions we make to the church. It's unfortunate that we just think of what we give in our offering, that is stewardship. But stewardship is much bigger than that. Because stewardship is not church-wide, stewardship is kingdom-wide. We have to get a new vision of what it is we're doing, what it is we're called to do. Second page, praying, teaching, leading, giving, serving, using your time, your talents, your skills, and witnessing are all acts of Christian stewardship and biblical theology in practice. Much of our theology is in our heads, but not in our practice. You don't have to say it's good. I know it's good. Because you know it's true. Isn't it true? Most of our theology is in our heads, not in our practice. And, and when we see ourselves as stewards, then we, we understand that there's a practice that goes with it. And when I am giving the Lord my time or my talents, when I'm teaching or preaching or sharing or leading, now, now it is all manifestations of Christian stewardship and biblical theology in practice. When the pastor said to me, if you finish, come and be my helper, or I've come back to get you, or here's your pew. If you think at the age of 11 and a half you can teach a class, who am I to say you can't? I, I wish I had called you, because I had slides. I have, I have pictures of my class. And it's only after he died when his daughter says, all these pictures involve Milton, we'll send them to him. I have pictures of my first class when I was in that math. And some of the kids, we had to, I had two classes. I had a class of kids who had, who had, you see, in those days, you didn't have church clothes. You had house clothes and school clothes. So I have, a, I have a picture of one of my classes that had school clothes. And then, they're, they're, and then you, you're in the church in your, in your school clothes. And then I have a class and I have the picture of it. I'm so sorry. As a matter of fact, I have my cell phone. It's on my, it's on my iPad right there. I had another class where the kids didn't have enough clothes to come to the building. So I went to the yard where they lived. And there are some kids in that picture some boys that didn't even have on pants. Mm. But they came to my class. Mm. I have a picture right here on my iPad. Whatever you can do for the kingdom yes, is stewardship. It's not just the offering you give. Because the offering you give is wonderful. But it doesn't have the impact on your mind. Because your brain tells you how much to give and what you can't afford. 
mind. Well, then you, when you hop in from your mind and your mind captures that much larger vision that I'm sharing the building of the kingdom through the local church, it's a whole different reality. Different. In my church right now, I have 27 children. 27 children who, who are my assistants. The bishop's assistants. I come into the church and two of my assistants, 11 and 12, at the door with their gloves to welcome me. Some of my assistants, 11 and 12 years old, dressed in their black suits and their ties with their white gloves, waiting at the door for me to arrive to welcome me. How long, when do you think they'll forget that? They will tell their great-grandchildren. As a matter of fact, they will show the pictures because you take pictures of them. They will show their great-grandchildren how they were serving in the church at that age as the bishop's assistants. I'm stretching their minds. Are you with me? Please tell me, give me a half an hour before I'm supposed to close because I can. <laughs> Discussion point. Which is the main quality needed? Which is the main quality needed for pleasing God and becoming effective stewards? Faith or obedience? Faith or obedience? Faith. Let me see how many say faith. Let me see obedience. Great. I'm a former college professor. It's faith. It's faith. Obedience cannot exist where there isn't faith. Why do I obey as a child? Why do you, why is a child, why does a child obey? Because the child has faith in what you said. If you don't obey, something will happen. That's faith. It's the substance of things not seen. The beating's not yet felt. <laughs> <laughs> but it's real they've captured it in their minds it's real and because I believe it then I obey obedience doesn't come first it's believing comes first if I believe I'll obey See, folks don't give what they should because they don't believe, not because they don't have. They don't believe. They don't believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him and serve him. They hear it. They can, they can memorize it. They can verbalize it. They have it in their brain. But it's not part of their minds. Am I making sense? Are you sure? You can't believe, you can't obey, but you don't believe. See, if you honestly believe that I love you, if you honestly believe that I love you, I care for you, 
There's sacrifices you make because you believe something. And just as you can't put your finger on your mind, you can't put your finger on belief because it's not a visible thing. But it's real. Doctors can do surgery on your brain, they just can't do surgery on your minds. Um, do you have any stones around? So when you're tired of me, just throw stones and I get the message. <laughs> Here's what the passage says. Now faith, faith is the substance. Faith. Faith is the substance of what? Of things so forth. Well, what's the, if, if you have your own pen, underline the word or put a circle around the word substance. What, 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 what does substance mean? Faith is a substance. It's the substance. What does that mean? Here's a, who could tell me, what does it mean? Faith is a substance. Huh? Tangible. Substance, reality of what? Things hoped for. The evidence of what? So how can you have a tangible reality? Something you can't see. Amen. How can it be a tangible reality? And I can't see it. Are you with me, brother? This is the scholar here, and I have to keep looking his direction. <laughs> Faith is the substance, definite, evidence, tangible, reality of things not seen. The evidence, the evidence. You go to court to testify. The assumption is that you have evidence. You can't tell the judge, I wasn't there, but somebody told me. Hmm? Evidence. Faith is the substance, tangible reality of things not seen, verbal, visually, with my natural eyes. And yet it's the, it's the evidence of things hoped for. Hope for it. The evidence of what I hope for. It hasn't come into full being, yet I have evidence. things hope for. You see, it's that faith that creates, that impacts the mind and helps us to have a new sense of we are as children, servants, and stewards of God. Faith. What the rest of the passage says, um, by it, the elders obtain the good report. The elders a good report because they grasp this tangible evidence of their hopes. By faith we understand, underline understand. By faith we understand. By faith we understand. By faith we understand. That the world's the worlds, 
the variety of worlds were framed, put together. And this is so, this blows my mind. By faith we understand, we understand, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. By the, by the what? Word? Framed by words? Framed by just God's word? A reality coming into being just by words? By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The things which are seen were made by the unseen. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. By faith, by faith he acted. By faith he acted. And that action was confirmed to him by God that he was righteous. By faith. You see, it was faith that created the obedience and the action. And then the action was testified by God that he was righteous. And that testimony of his righteousness would never have come if he had not acted in obedience to his faith. Are you still there? So that's why it also it should also say that faith without works is dead. Because real faith creates works. Real faith creates obedience. Real faith creates obedient actions, and creating actions manifest themselves and create rewards. Could someone give me in one sentence what you've captured? In just one sentence, what, just doesn't make any difference. Something that is resonating in your head right now, based on what I've shared. And who has the mic? Yeah, just put your hand up. Just whatever it is. What what are you capturing? What are you capturing? Anybody, put your hand up. What are you capturing? You can have anything by faith. You can have anything. You can have anything by faith. When that pastor said to me, come and be my helper. I've come out to get you. Here's your view. It changed my future. From the reality that I was going in, because the reality I was going in was the reality all of my older brothers had gone in. It changed my culture. It changed my models. It changed my mentors. It changed my life. Pastor Bishop Thompson, he was illustrating what a pastor, and I'm saying to myself, he isn't talking about me, is he? I was trying to give a church a picture of what could happen if they could just move. They didn't even have a parking spot for the pastor. 
I mean, I said they didn't even have a parking spot for the pastor. I was just trying to paint a picture, which they couldn't see. And several years later, New Covenant Church of Philadelphia was able to buy a 40-acre campus, and they didn't even have any money. We didn't have it. We didn't have any money. We owned 40 acres with 16 historic buildings. My friends, it doesn't take money. Money comes when faith is present. It draws money. Right now, we were, we were doing our parking lot, and that's $1.5 million. Don't lock yourself into what you don't have. Don't limit your vision to what you don't have. What you don't have is based on what your brain is telling you. But vision is what your mind is telling you. Anyone else? What, what, what have you captured? Anybody? Go ahead. Go ahead. Put your hand up. Any sentence, anything that you've heard. What I'm hearing is just crazy that God's words are still framing our world. Ah, like woo! Jot that down. God's words are framing our world if we allow them to. If we allow them to. If we allow them to. And if we fight ourselves to not allow our brains to intercept what our minds are capturing. One of the things we did when we were buying the campus is that we knew it was so big. First of all, there's no black church or black group that owns anything like that in the city of Philadelphia. It was so big that we couldn't even allow our members to know. We couldn't. It was too crazy. And we didn't have any money. Just too crazy to let our board. I mean, this is confidential and secret. We did negotiations. This is secret. Then when we, and I said, we're doing something. We're trying to buy a piece of property. And I will communicate it to you when the paper is signed and the ink is dry. <laughs> Paper signed, ink is dry. And then a big mistake I made. Big mistake. The Sunday I was supposed to announce that we did it. After the message, a big mistake I made, I gave them the address before the benediction. By the time I bowed my head in prayer and raised my head up, half of the church was gone. <laughs> half of the church was gone when they heard the address. By the time I got there, I'm one of the late ones coming because now I have to find a place to park. Everybody ha everybody's asking the same question. Which, which building is ours? Which building is ours? And I said, all of them. All of them. 
all 16 of them. All certified historic buildings are ours. When we didn't have any money. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. Anyone else? Anything else you've heard? Anything else you've heard? Any other sentence? Anyone else? Where? It's a single sentence. The power of impacting the minds of children before their brains take over. Impact the minds of children before their brains. Because you see, their brains can be influenced by the culture. By the culture. Impact their minds before their brains take over. Then they will have a straight path to excellence and significance and purpose. Let's move on. I'm enjoying myself. Faith at the dawn of history. Abel's first act of being a steward. By faith, Enoch. This is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Why? For before he was taken up, up he had this testimony that he pleased God. Do, do, do you have a testament to please God? It would be wonder. Imagine what would happen if, if every time you stand up to give a testimony, you'd start by saying, I thank the Lord that I please him. I thank the Lord that I please him. He had this testimony. I please God. Now, now, now think of how revolutionary that is to his mind. That deep down in my inner being, I have a confidence of pleasing God. But what, what does that do to you? What does that do to a child? As he or she is growing up, a confidence of pleasing God. When they go to school and they see all the things that are happening in school, what would, be their, what would their behavior like if they had a, a sense of pleasing God? He had this testimony. Before he was taken up, he was going through life with a testimony. I'm pleasing God. I'm pleasing God. My going out and my coming in, I'm pleasing God. That's my testimony. Sometimes you hear people testifying a whole lot of stuff. You should ask them, are you pleasing God? A lot of testimonies will stop. Before he was taken up, <laughs> he had this testimony that he was pleasing God. Verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to serve God. Am I right? No. 
doesn't say that. It doesn't take faith to serve God. It doesn't take faith to serve God. Any Tom, Dick, and Harry could. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. To please God. Because you see, God operates in this faith realm. The more faith you project, God says, wow, I can work with that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. This is why when the church is functioning in faith, the church is able to please God. The members are, are living in a totally different re reality of seeing possibilities in their lives. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. You see, this way that belief it comes in. Must believe that he is, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. See, when my father and my mother says, if you don't do this, this is gonna happen, I have to believe that she was, and that she can keep her word. <laughs> See, are you with me? Yes, sir. She can keep her word. She can keep her word. Point of discussion. What would it take for you to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligent, those who trust and please him? What would it take for you to honestly believe that God is a rewarder those who trust and please him. How would your life be different? If you, if you really believed, if you really believed that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Tithing is something that I've been doing, oh, before I was a teenager. When I was introduced to my wife, by persons who knew her. See, first of all, she's in here, so I can tell you the truth. I never, I never, <laughs> I, I, I never fell in love with her. We've been married now for 51 years. I never fell in love with her. I was introduced to her by persons she knew and persons who knew me who convinced me that based on their knowledge of her, she be the person for me. I had prayed to God for guidance. Are you there? Mm -hmm. So when we came together communicating, it wasn't a falling in love. It was a love with understanding. It was a love based on counsel. It was a love based on guidance. It was a love based on the wisdom of the persons I trusted who knew her and her family and her pastor, her, her, her father. Her father was one of the most prominent ministers in the country, one of the largest churches. He had a, their own school, and he was also a, a, a secretary, a minister, we call it, in the British system, called a minister of ministering government. The, the, British, the British governor invited him to, be, to head up one of the ministries of local government. Everybody knew him. And the people who knew him and knew his children said to me, she's the person. She'd be an excellent pastor's wife. I was educated into loving her. But something 
something happened which made a difference the night before the engagement. She called me and she said, um, we plan to be engaged tomorrow night, but I need to see you tonight. Could you come over to the house? She's with her family. I said, it could, could it wait until tomorrow? I said, no, it's gotta be tonight. <laughs> so I got there and I was surprised because I got there and upstairs, she was the only person present. And I realized later on that all the other family members were in the bedrooms because of what she wanted to say to me. She said, you know, no, no, what she said. She said, you need to come tonight because what I need to share with you, after I share what I want to share, you may not want to get engaged tomorrow. So you need to know tonight. What could she possibly share with me that after she finishes, I may not want to be engaged? After all the wisdom, all the, all the prayer, all the fasting, all the counsel. So I had to lay aside what my plans were and get to her house. Got in there. Nobody else was there. Later on, I realized they were all in the kitchen in the bedrooms. She says, I wanted you to come tonight because I want you to know something. If when we get married, if you ever lay your hands on me, I'll kill you. <laughs> I got that message in my brain and my mind. <laughs> she said, I'm serious. If you ever raise your hands to hit me, I'll kill you. Oh, you need to know that. <laughs> you need to know that. I think, I think after 51 years, as we were engaged for about three years, and then we married for 50, 50, 51 years. I think right now, she means it today <laughs> as she did then. <laughs> if you ever hear I have an instant death. <laughs> She means it today as she did then. See, sometimes, this is just for the ladies, we get into trouble because we don't lay the laws down early. And people don't know what to expect and what you will not tolerate. Let me move on. Move on. <laughs> See, I can tell you, that's a sanctified woman, a born-again woman, a tremendous woman, but today, if I hit her, she'll go to jail. <laughs> and she'll live out her sanctified life in jail. <laughs> but she will know that I went to see Jesus. <laughs> she'll know that. God is the creator and the possessor of all things. Um, let, let, let me clarify that very quickly. This whole question of Adam and Eve. God made Adam and Eve. God gave them authority to possess, to control everything. Everything that he had created, God gave them stewardship over. Stewardship over everything. All, creep, all creeping things, living things, everything. And Adam and Eve allowed the adversary 
to trick them. And they lost their stewardship. They lost what God had created them to enjoy. They lost it. And it's interesting, if you turn to page, turn to page four. Am I right? Is it page four? Hold it one minute. Okay, page three. Well, page three really talks about the whole Adam and Eve piece. But we, we, can go, we can go to page four in the interest of time. That following, following Adam and Eve's disobedience, following. See, there was no principle of tithing during Adam and Eve's time because everything belonged to God. And there was no idea of, my, of a steward keeping part of it for himself. The whole disobedience thing is rebellion against God and what he intended. After Adam and Eve's, um, <coughs> Eve's disobedience, and you can read the previous page, which leads up logically to this, tithing and faithful stewardship in the Bible reflected the restoration of some of God's blessings. God had blessed Adam and God had blessed Eve, and they lost the blessings. You understand that? It's all in the, in the previous, previous page. After the, the disobedience and they lost the blessing, God then came up with another paradigm. That, which reflected a restoration of some of those blessings on earth. A fuller restoration was brought when Jesus came. But who is the person that God used to bring bring back some of that blessings before Jesus came. Here we have it in um, Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest. Of the, he was, he was, he was, I'm sorry, bread and wine. The priest of God. the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham. Now, part of what God intended for Adam and Eve was, was now being transferred to Abraham. Amen. Amen. Melchizedek comes out, he brings bread and wine, and he blesses Abraham. He says, blessed be Abraham by God the most high, creator of the heaven and the earth, then Abraham gave him a tithe. Now, um, if you have a relative who dies and leaves a will and says in that will that everything he has goes to you, to you, what is your understanding of that? What is your understanding of that? It's all. It's all. The will says it's all. So the will says it's all, all is mine, everything. All means everything. Am I right? Yes. Would, wouldn't all means everything? Yes. Everything. And Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. Of everything. A tithe of 
everything of all, a tithe of all. He didn't someone give him a tithe of this little bit, save this little bit for a rainy day. Please. He gave him a tithe of all. And the fact that he's willing to demonstrate his faith and his faithfulness in giving God a tithe of everything he had showed his character and his mindset. And didn't allow his brains to intercept him, saying, you can't afford to do that. 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 He gave him a tithe of all. What does God do? Question. What is the difference in names between Ab Abram and Abraham? Before, before he gave a tithe of all, his name was Abram. Before he gave a tithe of all, his wife's name was Sarai. What happened when he proved himself faithful? God changed his name. Changed his name. God changes the name from Abram, which meant high father, to Abraham, which meant father of multitudes. So God spreads the blessings. Once he showed his faithfulness and his stewardship, God expanded him. First of all, in his perception of himself, in his mind, I am now the father of multitudes. At age 11, I was the pastor's helper. Now Abram could walk through the land saying, I'm the father of multitudes. And his wife, Sarai, her name has changed and her name is now Mother of Nations. When she didn't have a son, didn't have a child. Father of multitudes, mother of nations, changed their names to coincide with their new image and their new reality. And then later on comes a test. Change in image, new reality, and the pastor's helper. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I have my own pew. Part of my own test came when I was 14 and my mother put me out to go and live at the church. And I realized at that time it was just me and God. At age 14. At age 14. And yet, with all the beatings I was getting every Sunday night, I had to crawl back in that house. If she threw all my stuff outside, I had to crawl back in that house to get two resources I needed, my Bible and my hymnal. And I could sing all the way, my Savior leads me. What am I, what shall I love? I ask beside, can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divine is forfeit. 
See, God now changes his name and puts in his mind a new reality. He will be the father of multitudes. Sarah, you're now going to be the mother. And then God gives him a test. God gives him a blessing of a child, a son. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to sacrifice him. I don't think for one moment that Abraham says, okay, God, that's fine. I can imagine what happened in that family, in that house, when Abraham told his wife that God said to sacrifice her son. Can you imagine what conflict took place? And they've waited all these years, finally blessed with a child, and God says, sacrifice him. Can you imagine what messages his brain was telling him? And he had to, there's a battle between his brain and his mind. And then he finally made the decision. And Sarah made the decision. We've trusted God all these years. We're going to continue trusting him. And he built an altar. And he laid the sun on the altar. And was just about to kill him. When the angel said, touch not the boy. And God says, now I know. Now I know. Now I know. There's some times will come in your life. But God will take you through some stages so that you would know. Because he already knows. There's some pains and some difficult times will come. When there's going to be a battle between your, your, your brain and your mind. When all your friends will tell you what your brain is saying. All your friends would agree with what your brain is saying. Remember when we sold our home in Philadelphia to help finance our church? Today we live in 40 acres. But we didn't have money. And our relatives felt we were making a fool of ourselves. We saw two of our children, oldest children, went to Harvard and full scholarships. The test that will come is only when you face it and deal with it. We hear him saying, well done, because it's not that he knows, it's that now you know that you please him. That you please him. That you please him. How much time do I have? Ten minutes? Three minutes. 
It's another song that's been resonating in my mind since I was about a number of years after Herman Smith left the field and Don Johnson. Does Don Johnson name ring a bell to you? Don Johnson from Anderson? Yeah. He was at, at one point in charge of the missionary board. Don became the pastor, the missionary. And he and I used to sing a duet. And that duet resonated so much in my spirit since Jesus gave his life for me. So I say, should I not give him mine? I'm consecrated, Lord, to thee. I shall be wholly thine. My life, O Lord, I give to thee. My talents, time and all, I'll serve thee, Lord, and faithful be. I'll hear thy faintest call. I care not where my Lord directs, his purpose I'll fulfill. I know he everyone protects who does his holy will. Though he may call across the sea, with Jesus I will go and tell the lost of love so free till all his power may know. My home and friends are dear to me, yet he is dearer still. In my affections first he'll be, and first his righteous will. My all, O Lord, I give to thee. Accept me as thine own. For thee alone I'll ever live. My heart shall be thy throne. You have to pay the price. You have to pay the price. And to do that, you always have to fight your brain. Because your brain tells you what is easy. Your mind tells you what is hard. But it's through our minds that we see the future. And if you want the future, then the decision is up to you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just praise and we thank you. If we can just understand that we are stewards of everything you've created and everything you've placed in our hands, we would see ourselves differently We'll see our mission differently. We'll see our involvement differently. We will see how bearing our cross and building your work, expanding your kingdom is part of our stewardship. And that you reward those who diligently seek you. Bless us together. Bless the past and his wife and the family. Bless this church and its ministry. Expand them, O oh God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.